friends. It's good to see you again. I'm Brian. And I'm Joe. Let's, Let's start, start the show. start the show and uh just as that was happening just that last little let's start the show the w on that word i was concurrently burning my lips on my hot coffee that i got from the bha um rendezvous this cool stanley cup they gave us just for signing up I, just the first time i ever used it I, I tossed in some um last best conversation coffee because I knew that this today was important, so I wanted to only have the best, um, best bean. And then I, I brought it here. I made pleasantries with Brian and uh, Nick Henry, our special guest today. And then I, I hit record. I, I made the music happen, and I just burned the crap out of my tongue and <laughs> lips and most of my mouth. And maybe if you can burn your gums, I probably have burnt gums. Do you, do you want me to go get you a water real quick? No, I'm just being whiny. Okay. Welcome, listener. Um, if you're having a whiny day, you're in the right place because we're gonna we're gonna we're, that's okay with us. We're gonna talk about it. We don't have a lot of whiny things to talk about. Actually, this was gonna be a super happy, fun podcast. I was gonna say like this isn't the right place. If you're yeah. whiny, you, this will put you not whiny. Right. So I'm yeah. going to get through the fact that I burn. I burned my. I bring it upon myself. This, mm-hmm. this injury, mm-hmm. th- this injury of the mouth, mm-hmm. which is a part of my body that I need for podcasting. <laughs> get your head out of the gutter for podcasting. Um, anyways, we'll get past it. So hey, I'm, I'm already past it. And but- we're here super early uh, because we are hardworking <sighs> warriors. You we've, know, well, we've got content coming. Like We've got a lot in the works. And so this is just when we could fit it in. It's getting... Yeah, it's getting real. And not to mention, you and I are going on a road trip soon. Tuesday. No. Well, okay, yes, Tuesday. But then we're going on an even longer road trip the the following week. Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. Uh, yeah. yeah. We're picking up my kids for the summer. And uh, Brian was nice enough to be like, I'll be your A gunner or your A driver. Uh, you know, whatever uh, we say. Um, GPS map guy. You'll be the navigator. That's the that, navigator. I couldn't think of that word, so I said GPS map guy. Well, but I'll I, be the navigator. I kind of want your nickname to be MapQuest, but now I'm kind of I kind of like navigator. Well, I told you that was my nickname, right? That's why I like it. Yeah, MapQuest. That was my nickname. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I won't get lost, even though Siri usually tells me every everywhere to go. But sometimes Siri's like, "Have you ever just been like using uh, your your phone app that gives you the maps?" And you've been using it, and it's fine. And then just every now and again, it'll just be like, okay, and um, go ahead and turn left. And you're like, but but where? Like, what street do you mean? Like, there will be a left. Just take it. Take it. <laughs> the next left you yeah. see might be it. Yep. That reminded me of, uh, I actually printed off some MapQuest pages back in yesteryear. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling up to British Columbia, mm-hmm. up, up near Whistler. Whistler. North of Whistler. And um, right, the I did so it was pages that I was using. So on on so on the first page, second page, third page, no problem. Fourth page that I didn't look at, the, like three of the last directions were like, well, then turn left, and then you're gonna go for a while, and then, <laughs> and then there's gonna be a right that you'll take. And I'm like, oh, but now we're in like the forest. <laughs> I'm not gonna know. Yeah, and you get up into BC, like, ooh. 
in some of those weird areas. There's not street signs. But I was close enough, and I was in Canada, so I just asked somebody for directions. Oh, and, and they probably bought you food and drove you there. Yeah. And they, gave you gas money. They loaded right? up my car onto their truck and then... Yeah. <laughs> Canadians <laughs> are amazing. Okay. Enough of... Um, Enough of this frivolity. We need to word I have to Google. We All need right. to get to it. Nick Henry is running for office. Nick, welcome. Hello, welcome, Thank my you. friend. Appreciate um, it. Yeah, thanks for coming and get a little closer to that mic. Oh, just yeah. act, just act like you like that microphone. You know, talk. That's perfect. Understood. That's where you're at, right there. That's perfect, man. So, can um, I interrupt already? Okay, go ahead. Um, typically, when we have a guest, I'll like pull up what I can on the Google mm-hmm. real quick, mm-hmm. right? Just so I have some things in front of me and I can quick reference. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Nick, I pulled up your Facebook. Mm. All right. What do we got? And you're, right you know, so there's a, there's a Facebook profile and then mm-hmm. there's a banner. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. So there's, oh, there's, sure. <laughs> so, so your profile is great. Love the profile. It looks like you used an app and it's like this rustic kind of picture. Yeah. It was uh turned out it was a selfie elk hunting a couple years ago, four or five years back. And mm-hmm. then, uh, this one of those weird, you know, popular apps came out last week which makes your picture look like an old painting yeah i thought looks, i'm gonna do it with one so looks really cool yeah do you want out, to explain but. your banner at all oh how to explain that okay well i like to poke fun at myself i think that's kind of a way of you know dealing with person's insecurities etc but anyway it's uh it's a shot from uh uh i believe it's not well it is aquaman i want to say it's from the batman versus superman movie and, okay. Uh, of course, it's the one where Jason Momoa is standing, hip deep in a in a fjord somewhere, and in in uh, all his glory, in all his glory, yeah, etc. And uh, of course, you know, as muscle bound as he is, standing in the middle of the shot, I superimpose myself oh, about ten yards behind to the back, with my gut hanging out, freezing in the water, like I'm <laughs> swimming with a buddy, and I can't figure out why on earth he's. So. It's it's fantastic. It's hilarious. It's fantastic. This is one of the best banners I've ever seen. Appreciate that. I get a lot of laughs out of it. I think it's important just to fool around. Oh, right. Well, and I think it sets the tone as well. I mean, Joe's already said you're running for office. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that. But if I see someone running for office and they haven't, like, cleaned up their Facebook to, like, you know, and they're wearing a suit mm-hmm. and they're wearing, you know, whatever, like, right. I'm you got my vote. Yep. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's easy right there. No, and actually that takes us down a totally different rabbit hole. And um, I was actually just thinking yesterday about uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X uh, as uh, transcribed to Alex Haley. And in it, uh, Alex had actually interviewed Malcolm X for a number of years as he was writing this book. And in the time he was interviewing him, he was changing his philosophy around. When he first met him, he was very much a staunch Nation of Islam character. This is how he thought. And by the time he finished writing it, this was towards the end of Malcolm's life when he had become a little more progressive, started joining with other groups in the civil rights movement, etc. And uh, Alex Haley had approached him and says, well, do you want me to edit the earlier parts, you know, of this biography because it doesn't reflect you now? And he said, well, no. I mean, that kind of made me who I am. Yeah, keep it in there. You know, it's important to see that progression of a person. Uh, so that's one thing I decided to do when I started running is, you know, I admit I've made mistakes. We all have our faults. Better not to hide them. Right. You know, right. just just leave it out there so you can have an open dialogue with somebody. So maybe that's shooting oneself in the foot, but uh, that's how I feel. So Yeah, no, I like it. I like it, um, especially in this, like, 
cancel culture we live in where, you know, something you did 20 years ago can get you fired tomorrow. Right. You know, um, yeah. I think it's, well, you, you hired me knowing that because I didn't try to hide anything is a little bit different than, oh, it's coming out because you tried to hide it. You know, I think yeah. it's, a, I think it's a little bit different. And so yeah. if you just keep everything, you're just, you're just you. Well, I think keeping it, it real. Think, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You bring up uh, Malcolm X's book. I thought it was cool that, um, you know, when he was coming up uh, before he went off to college, he kind of had a disdain for his dad's way of thinking. You know, uh, his dad was the the preacher, and um, he was like, he he wanted to go into I think it was law, law or politics. Are we talking about uh, Malcolm or Martin? Martin Luther. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, I went to the other. I went to the another autobiography. Jeez. No, you're okay. It, I was thinking to myself, did Malcolm X go to college? I don't remember. Yeah, and I don't remember. I was like, I don't remember um, Martin Luther King being a Both fathers were preachers. <laughs> I so. was like, hmm, maybe I got to reread this book. And both were preachers. Okay, yeah. so. Yes. Anyways. Now my point is um, not as correct. How's your mouth feeling? Um, it's not working very well. <laughs> that I know. That That's, that's the one. So... Um, yeah, okay. So we started with Jason Momoa. And if, for those of you who don't, don't know Jason Momoa, um, just look at any one of my pictures shirtless, and it's just like a, it's like a twin. It's like, it's like having spitting, a twin. Spitting and body double. Yeah, it's like a body double. Um, and then, If we didn't start this podcast, you would be his stunt double. Yeah, not, absolutely. It's a little known fact. Like not, not many people know that. Yeah, I mean, I look at his stunt double all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, easy. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but Nick, so you are from Great Falls or how long have you lived here? Let's see. I actually moved to Great Falls in December of 13. Okay. I was in Livingston for quite a few years before that when I wasn't, you know, doing things overseas or okay. elsewhere. But, and you um, got to Great Falls and you're like, right away, I'm going to run for politics. I'm going to get in or what happened? Not, oh boy. It's a progression of things. I guess you could say, uh, about the time I realized I... It was kind of futile to get a history teaching job because I had, you know, put in more than 100 applications over 10 years and had glowing interviews every year. Just mm-hmm. nothing was landing. And I was getting very discouraged, you know, about 10 years after college, not getting a teaching job because that's really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it coincided with me meeting the love of my life, who was in Great Falls, uh, on eHarmony of all places. Mm. And uh, we uh, talked for about half a year and... Uh, Finally met in July of that year. Uh, moved up here December of that year. Uh, went right into youth mental health. Um, have always still wanted to teach history. So I think what had happened is I got into youth mental health, child and family service for four years. Back to youth mental health. Um, bounced around in that. And then finally, right now I am a parking attendant downtown. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing then, youth mental health stuff? Um, well, I was a case manager. Um, what 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 business were you for? Doing youth that? Dynamics. Oh, okay, I've uh, heard of them for about a year and a half, and then another half a year after, and then uh, I was a program manager at a group home group home for Kairos for a brief period of time, actually beginning mm-hmm. of last year. But that being said, by the time I got to my current position, um, I feel like there was something missing to a degree, and that was the same time I was building relationships with uh, people who were already political, um, mm-hmm. or at the very least. Uh, interested in state and lower politics mm-hmm. you know as much as i can keep out of the national stuff i want to do it 
I'm with uh, you. Because I'm not running for national office, and I certainly don't want to. <laughs> uh, but that being said, um, the stars kind of aligned, and I realized, well, this is kind of an outlet for a lot of the uh, stuff that I'd sort of been planning on doing, you know, um, studying politics, economics, and whatnot in college, but not being able to teach it in a classroom, still having this desire to start having a positive change for things mm -hmm. or a different look at things and sort of a roundabout way of explaining why I kind of found my way here. So I like it. Okay. So anything strike you from that? Brian? Well, let, like let's go into like what, um, what are you, what are you running for right now? Uh, well, I'm running for house district 22, which is a house district uh, just on the edge of great falls going out into a swath of farmland up sun prairie up to the outskirts of Vaughn. Um, every house district in Montana is based on uh, 10,000 people uh, to keep that representation even across the board. So obviously the lines for these districts um, over time periodically are redrawn mm -hmm. to encapsulate, you know, 10,000 people. So uh, some districts in Great Falls are like downtown or a big neighborhood because mm -hmm. there's 10,000 people there. But obviously, if, you know, so some districts are geographically bigger than others. That being said, I'm running on the uh, the Democratic ticket, so the primary, which we're having right now, uh, is uh, I don't have anyone running against me. And then the general election in November, uh, at this point, will be between myself and the incumbent, and then a libertarian candidate. Cool. Who's the incumbent? Uh, Lola Sheldon Galloway. Lola. I recognize that name. I've seen her... Um bus bench ads or something like that yeah she's mm. got quite a okay. few yeah. lola <laughs> and so as a uh, house 20, 20 house 22 district 22 mm -hmm. house, okay say it again house district 22 house district 22 there we go i knew all those words were involved i didn't know what order mm -hmm. <laughs> house district what are, what are your what are your duties what do, what do you do what would you be looking forward to doing gotcha um well obviously you'd be you'd be a lawmaker the part of the legislative branch or the three branches of any government or our government. Um, so it would be, um, you know, supporting, writing various bills, you know, to, to change, you know, existing bills. When it comes to what I would like to do, um, I want to, would like to make a focus on uh, mental health awareness and strategy mm -hmm. as being sort of a, almost an unspoke about cause for so many issues in our community, even going up to national community when we talk about anything from the horrific uh, gun violence, you know, that we see on the news to homelessness, downtown Great Falls to, uh, boy, uh, crime, petty theft, even substance abuse. <coughs> There's this uh, area of mental health, which is often untalked about, that if left untreated leads to a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a way of saying, um, almost like, and I hate to sidestep, um, the presentations that we've seen lately at neighborhood councils from the police department for this program they want to do, the idea of uh, allocating the attention properly so that things are more efficient as far as uh, uh, dealing with problems before they become too problematic. Uh, and I would say it's like that with mental health strategy. I would like it to be, anyway, to figure out a way of looking at each 
individual as being as having that potential and uh how can we stop many of these bad things from happening early on i guess that's just a Joe, hard to articulate i guess well well uh, it's it's sound, sounding uh, very similar uh to our last podcast with uh Michelle Levine, who was talking about, uh, she didn't she didn't necessarily use the same terminology, but she was using the word trauma, mm. and you're using mental health, and she's yeah. saying, you know, like we need to look at uh, different avenues uh, of getting people through the court system, you know, legally, mm. rather than just the the same old things, because a lot of these people are coming from trauma, and if we treat the trauma, we can help them, and it's the same thing, sure. right? Trauma yeah. causes mental health issues, you know, and so. Um, Figuring out different, uh, you know, whatever whatever it may be, uh, classes or or you know courses people can take, as opposed to six months in jail. Right. <laughs> well, why don't you Why don't you take forty hours of this, you know, uh, anger management class or you know dealing with your trauma class or so, something like right. that, rather than six months in jail. Yep. And and actually, uh, from a from a taxpayer's view, I think you know, uh, money wise and our jail filling up, filling up, you know, it might be better to treat some of these mental health issues rather than just continuing to send people to jail right. and watching the cycle. Um, as I was involved in um, Childbridge, a nonprofit finding foster oh, yeah, families. Familiar. Okay, yeah. uh, if you work for CFS, you're yeah. you're probably familiar. Yeah. And so, um, we 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 talked about um, the the reason we want we want to find quality homes for foster families is because we're trying to stop this generational cycle oftentimes. And I just had one of my former foster daughters, uh, just two days ago, uh, had a baby. Oh, and thankfully, like she has us in her life. Otherwise, you know, her blood family is nowhere to be found, you know, right Mm. now. And it could be a cycle of just because she doesn't know the, the normal things about, raising yep. children and stuff like that, not because she's a horrible person or anything, just because she doesn't know her child could end up in foster right. care, right? And so it's stopping this this generational cycle. Yep. And if you're, so if you're focusing on mental health, it's a very similar thing. Yep. Um, maybe not looking out generationally, but it could. Um, but even in the short term of like, let's see what, what's going wrong in somebody's mind that's causing them to do this thing, not mm-hmm. punish the thing they did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that everybody needs to go unpunished and we're hoity-toity just, you know, <laughs> right, putting everybody right. in a crib and rocking them to sleep and saying, it's okay that you robbed right. this this person. But but looking at that person, right. uh, you know, because... Still exists that accountability. Right. Without right. But having right. that awareness. And, and finding that right balance. And I guess the strategy part that I, that I talk about is taking these programs which already exist or... Um, are in the process of existing, like the one with the police department, figuring out how to conglomerate them into a, a look at that. I mean, we, you know, Montana, we're very independent here. Mm-hmm. Um, we always have been very rugged. You know, uh, if you're a guy in Montana, you've grown up here, and you, you fall off a cliff, you stitch it up yourself, you rub some dirt on it, you come home, you know, and mental health is one of those things that guys especially don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't because we look at it as uh, instead of being something like an illness, no one should be ashamed to say I have the flu. Um, but they look at it like a uh, you know, a weakness. A weakness. Yeah. 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 It's really important yeah. to look at too because um, you know criminals doing crime needs there needs to be punishments for those crimes for sure. sure. But when you're in the when you're in those in the working within the criminal justice 
um, arena <clears throat> and you start to see the same people going over and over again. And you're like, wait a minute, what happened here? And you realize that, well, this person um, was raised by someone who, who committed crimes. That's mm -hmm. what they know. And, or maybe this person has some trauma. They, they, they yeah. basically have, they have a sprained ankle in their emotions and we can't see it. Mm -hmm. um, but some sort of disconnect. Some somewhere. sort of disconnect. And what we're doing by punishing them is we're trying to correct the symptoms without addressing the cause. Right. It's you like know. throwing a Band-Aid on a, an open wound and just kind of hoping it heals. Yep. You know. Throwing a Band-Aid on a broken leg. Yeah. That'll work. Yep. Just yep. don't talk about how much it hurts. And so we just ask them to walk it off. Yeah. You know, like I remember um, even from like a, a veteran's perspective, right? When you go into uh, the VA and they're like, well, we need you to do X, Y, and Z in order to get care, in order to get this service that you want. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, based on my the thing I need help with, like that, that I can't do that. You're asking me to do a thing that I can't do. Like, for sure. example, PTSD. Um, people have problems uh, keeping appointments with right. when they have PTSD. And so they're like, well, if you miss one appointment, we're going to put you on the naughty list. Mm -hmm. And if you get on the naughty list, then you're not going to get you know, the appointments that you want and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and they said that to me and I was like, Oh, are, are you saying that there's actually a list that I would get put on because of the symptoms from my PTSD that I'm trying to get help right. for here? That, that makes me feel even more apprehensive to want to work with yeah. you knowing that there's this, this black list that I would be put on because I was naughty, but my naughtiness comes from my trauma. You right. know, from the PTSD sure. that I'm suffering from. So right. can I apologize now that I'm doing that? It's not my, f I mean, maybe it is my fault. I don't know, but that's why I'm trying to, trying to get help <laughs> right. in therapy. Maybe you could show, well, this is what you're doing here. And then we can, we can address that. But it's, it's really interesting to try and have that conversation and see how far you get, because we've, we've been doing what we've been doing for so long. And, um, when you have someone to serve in the criminal justice system, uh, within a nonprofit, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you have money to be made, you know, cause if there's nobody in the jail, if there's no one going through the court system, there's no money being made. There's nothing right. for a lawyer or judge to do. So, you know, we're, we, 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 I think we get in, we get into like some shady areas when we're like, geez, are we just, you know, when people are, they're worried about, um, the ticket quotas, like, oh, you're just giving me this ticket because you got a quota. And well, then we figure out quotas do exist and, and they are just giving us tickets because they have to get something done. And you're like, well, that stinks. And then you kind of realize that that little, um, gray area presents itself in many different ways. Mm. Like, um, like, let's say you've got one DUI. You know, you're like, you made a mistake. You're like, geez, I got this DUI. And so you go to this class locally and the people at this class, I'm not going to give you the name, but they say, hey, you know what? If you, you messed up and if you just tell us the truth about you messing up, this is going to be a one and done. No problem. You know, you pay your 300 bucks, whatever it is. And this is all that's going to be. And you're like, okay. And, and um, you then make the mistake of telling them you may have more than two beers in a sitting more than one time a week. And then that person says, oh, well, you're a, you're an extreme alcoholic. And so I'm going to write this thing to the judge that says for the next six months to a year, you have to come here. So this isn't going to be a one and done. Like I said, it was, you said the magic words that, that are now going to make me want to help you. And I'm like, well, I don't think I drink and I'm using So it's myself in the, in this example. And I remember saying, you know, I, I don't drink any more or less than anyone that I'm around. And I include 
lawyers and judges and doctors and amongst my friends and and they're not having to go through this and thank goodness there was a way to get out of that situation but it just it it made me think you know what i i've talked to a lot of homeless people and when i when i say when you ask them those questions on why are you homeless why do you because you know i've seen you're a you're a repeat offender you know you're out here all the time so it must be by choice and the ones that aren't, you know, completely suffering from severe mental illness that can talk to you, they will say, well, I tried your programs. I've tried these nonprofit things. I've tried the things with the city. I've tried to go through the criminal justice um, programs that, you know, all the shiny programs that everyone has for us. And their experience is it's not working, you know, like, because the only person we have to tell us that it is working are the people doing it. Like if, uh, for example, a judge is doing a vet court, well, where are we getting those reports from? That saying mm-hmm. saying that these numbers are good and that they're they're hundred percent good and no one ever no one ever um, there there's no black marks on that particular program, but then you work within that program and you realize it. Well, yes, there is. They're they're just saying that because they want to look good in the news. But when you're a vet or you work in these veteran programs and you deal with homeless people and you deal with all this trauma, you realize that there needs to be a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not trying to like I can't demonize anybody. I don't know. I don't have one person doing it. I just, I've noticed that the way things are set up right now, it doesn't seem like we're very good at addressing uh, the root causes of things, whether it be trauma Mm -hmm. or mental illness. And we're not good at following through if we do address those things. So if we can get you into a program where you might get on your right foot, well, who's to say that um, that program doesn't go away or lose money or not get the the right. grants that they got. And so now you're out and then you got to start all over if you're a participant. Right. Right. So, and, and I think that there, there are several programs uh-oh. even right here in great falls that do portions of the process correctly, mm-hmm. but not the whole thing. Right? right. Right. But if you, if just like you're saying, Nick, if, if you, you could get them all together, right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you could say, okay, like you're really good at this. And so like, um, sober life, yeah, so, sober life sure. is doing a fantastic job. Absolutely, um, but they're they're not the whole picture, right? Like right. There, there should be a before and after, and and so um, you know just making sure to put the right people that have the right knowledge in the before step, and then the after step, and then the you know maybe that person needs a second chance because they slipped up step, you know, and, right. and things like that to to get all that put together. Because it's not that um, everyone's doing everything wrong; it's just that. Um, you know, and this has been our talking point sometimes about um, nonprofits. You get five different nonprofits that all want to help the same person. None of them are doing all five steps correctly, mm-hmm. but each of them are probably doing one of the five steps correctly. And if you could get them each just on right. their own step mm-hmm. and put them all together, but they, you know, it gets hard to get them to work together and to, to move. Right. And so that's a that's a difficult job you're talking about, Nick. Oh yeah, no, and I I don't mean to say that we should add another layer of bureaucracy to control all of this because the one thing we absolutely do not need is more bureaucracy and oh, more no. control. I think we need to uh, have a coordination. Really, uh, yeah, coordination. Yeah, yep. is really the thing. I know, and a lot of you know private nonprofits they compete against each other, even though they're not supposed to be in competition. They do, um, and it's tough because you have to justify, you know, to uh, via Medicaid, for example, on with a use, let's say, why something is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to use certain words, or you need to. You're basically taught to use certain words to make sure these things get pushed through. And then you think to yourself, are we offering, what are we offering? What are we after, quantity or quality? Mm. 
And then, you know, as a social worker, and I think any social worker will tell you that it's one of the hardest parts of doing it is you never get to the end game. Because if you have one case successfully completed, you're going to have at least one more right there. Mm-hmm. So your your work is in a constant state of uh, just getting ready to burst at the seams. Yeah. You know, so you really, it was very, very difficult. You had to get very creative, like a child and family service, for example, in offering something of quality when, you know, it was all about the numbers, even though it wasn't stated. You know, right. you would... Someone would say, hey, you're getting a new case next week. I can't do it. I got these other cases on fire. You know, like these got my attention. Well, too bad. Yep. There you go. Here's another case. Yeah. And, and, by, and by the way, it was rushed to you. So half your time for the next two weeks is going to be spent fixing it for the last person. Yeah. You know, well, but uh, anyway, enough about that. Well, I was going to say, in case the caseworkers I dealt with, you know, this, is, this has been a while ago now, but um, eight, 18 to 22 cases. Yeah, on average, yeah. Uh, a case I would always would go by honestly. When people ask how many cases you have, I always wanted to tell them how many kids, because right, you know, one that's, of those cases yeah. might have six kids. Right, and that's what I was going to say. Know. It's like hmm. you have six kids; those siblings may have three different dads involved. Mm-hmm. You know, one mother, three different dads. Sure, they they might not be in the same home. So then you have you know ones in a group home, ones in this group home, ones in that foster family. Two are over here. Ones with this third cousin family member because yep. they could take one kid yep so and, so, and you know. so you've just got them all over the place and that's just one of your 18 to 22 cases you'd have and right. you're dealing with each one of them having different um i don't want to say lawyers but lawyers and you know it, just yeah. all the different things involved i mean in at it. one point i had 53 different kids, kids that i was responsible for mm-hmm. at any given moment yeah. you know and uh oh boy and and when you only had time to do one thing and you got two emergencies, you know, you got to ask yourself, well, which emergency is more <laughs> emerging? Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I actually had this, this actually is why I started doing foster care is I was just trying to figure out how I could help the caseworkers. Um, this is when I lived up in Glasgow. I just wanted to help them out because they seemed like busy people. I ran <laughs> into one and I'm like, man, could we get you like some gift baskets and like some massages or something, you know? And so I, I went down and sat at um, this lady's desk and I said, all right, I want to help out your office. You know, what can we do? And she's like, listen, I can't even focus right now because I have two different children and I only have one home that can take them. They, they, that home can't take both of them. One of them's getting sexually abused. One of them's getting physically abused. I have to figure out which one is deserving of a home and which one is deserving of my couch, you know, in my right. office right now while I try to find placement. And mm-hmm. she just like broke down and started crying. She's like, I just... I have so many problems and oftentimes one solution, you know? Yeah. And, and so all of the, the bureaucracy and everything goes out the window when you have like real children just right in front of you. And I don't mean yeah. to, you know, get, get us stuck on children right now because there's, there's more issues than that. Alcoholism, oh, sure. drugs, um, they're, they're, they're all issues that we have, um, Right here in Great Falls that yeah. in House District 22, right. that, can, that can help us uh, focus on. And, right. and and so do you feel like, I, okay, so I feel like local politics is where we're going to make the real changes. I think that, it's that, where it should happen. That, that's, how, mean, that's how I feel. So I know you, we, you we, feel could, we could discuss, you know, whether or not America is a democracy or we a constitutional republic or any of that. But we, we understand that we have a democratic system yep. you know we the people mm-hmm. um anyway 
Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. no, I was just going to say, do you do you feel motivated by that? That um, like you know you're going to be a representative for ten thousand people acting on yeah. their behalf to rewrite, institute, and and motivate the, the powers that be to get things moving in the right direction. Right. I mean, does that feel daunting or does that feel motivating? Um, by and large, it's going to be motivating. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. You have those brief periods of time where you hear stories and you just think, "Gosh, I wonder if it's even." Wonder if it's even worth trying this. Yeah, because even well, if I, even when I do make it to Helena, um, how many, how many jeers am I going to hear from uh, my fellow representatives? Because now that they're, they happen to be the majority in the room, you know, it's. Uh, oh, we kind of went from being bipartisan to bipolar. <laughs> I feel like sometimes, you know, and I like that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. So, um, how are we gonna how are we gonna get people to vote for you? Like, um, for example, Brian over here. Brian, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Oh, I'm. I'm it's okay. I, I'm uh, co-host for this podcast. So but okay. <laughs> let let's let's just say that Brian doesn't um, vote. Oh. Let's just say that Brian hasn't gotten his ballot yet, because maybe Brian is not registered to vote. Let's just say. Okay. Oh, or, that could be it. Or he recently moved and didn't tell the registrar's office that he that can also move. be yeah. and that's yeah. tough too because even if you move four blocks away so, in a different district you wouldn't re- be voting for the right person unless so, you made sure your address was correct. so brian cares you know what i mean brian's kind of into politics even you know with the business he was doing now we're kind of you know we're, we're kind of being involved but brian's also a non-voter you know mm-hmm. what i mean so how do we how do we motivate these people? You know, if there's 10,000 people, probably in the, in the last election, I mean, I'm guessing, but if for the whole city, what did, what did we get? Like 2,000 people voted for the mayor or something. So it was like yeah. such low numbers. Yeah. And so how do we motivate people um, to get out, to, to get themselves registered, to be like, you know what? My vote is going to matter. I, I am going to participate in this democracy. You know, what, what would you say to those people? And what, I guess what would you say to Brian right here? <laughs> oh, God. Boy. I mean, it's a tough one, mm-hmm. you know. Um, this upcoming Tuesday, for example, there's going to be a, a big to-do up at the college about uh, a group that wants to point out how uh, how we need to do every vote by actually physically looking at the ballot. We shouldn't use machines anymore because of, you know, this... Uh, voter fraud. Voter fraud. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the non-existent voter so, fraud. I'm with you. So that doesn't help. Um, you know, when people think, well, does my vote even count? And then here we have um, this sort of perpetuated fear, mm-hmm. legitimate concern that has turned to fear of, does my vote even count? Do the machines even tally correctly? Yeah. Gosh. And there's no way to tell these people that we've checked 66 times. Right. Is there any way to, to get that message out? There <laughs> right. just doesn't seem like there is. <laughs> like, what if we just take it to court? Well, we did six, 66 times. Right. Every single time, nothing was found at all. And anyone that has any evidence, anyone, anyone would have brought it by now. So, I mean, yeah, come on, guys. Let's just, anyway, go but ahead. It's, I know it's <laughs> kind of become a sort of a, uh, God, what would you call it? Um, American model of, Americanized almost of taking something which could be concerned and making a fear out of it. You know, and everybody does it. We've been doing it for so long. Yeah, it's how we. You know, it's how we market, um, man. Yeah, it's how yeah. we use our propaganda. Well, but, if you if you think I, about it, there there comes more power to those that be the less people that vote. 
Mm, because yeah, yeah, because yeah. if you're taking out whatever demographic they're they're trying to take out through fear and and whatever, they're they're left with these people that no matter what are going to vote. They're going to vote, so you and know so you can always you, show up to the senior right. citizens. And so place. it's like yeah, yeah. So senior mm. citizens, you know, whatever. I know that. The, there's there's a couple generations and then also there's a younger generation that's like we're showing up. Mm-hmm. The eighteen year olds are just right. Yeah, right. I do I do want to clarify because you put me on the spot. <laughs> the reason I haven't voted for the last several elections mm-hmm. is because uh, I I was working for Christian either nonprofits or churches, mm-hmm. and I I believe in a separation of church and state, mm-hmm. and and so. I didn't even want an opinion, mm. right? I was I stayed involved. I I, I was knowledgeable, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to ever say I voted for this guy or this guy to sway anybody. I, I took it to the far, far, far extreme that you mm. possibly could, yeah. because I got really mad at pastors that that backed any kind of political why are you agenda. even right? Or, it, yeah. Any kind of political agenda, whether it's gun rights or yeah. um, abortion I mean, ends, ends up being one or any of those things. It's like, okay, I, I get where your religious belief puts you here, but you actually have some power over these people in your yeah. congregation yeah. and you're misusing it because you also aren't paying taxes. And so you, you got to not do that. And so I just took it to the far extreme. I, d- I mm-hmm. never wanted to be accused of anything like that. I, I did that with many things in my job as I was a pastor. So I was never accused. Couldn't even be accused. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to accuse me of that? That never, you know. And so that's, that's why I did that. And so now, now as I'm not working for a, a religious organization or a nonprofit, um, we're not making a bunch of profit, but we are a for-profit business. Too. Yes, <laughs> we mean to make profit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, people get into business for a reason, and yeah. that reason is called money. And, and so you know, now, right. yes, like I don't know why I didn't get a ballot in the mail, and both of your reasons are probably right that I'm probably. not. I thought I was registered, but I'm probably not, and I just moved mm-hmm. yeah. about a year ago. So yeah. it's time that we can vote for one of the judges. You know, yeah. So that's and that's cool. actually something I wanted to ask, and I haven't gotten around to asking either Michelle or David because I know them both personally. Okay. Why there's, why there's two separate elections? Like we voted for them in the primary, and now we're going to vote for either them again in November, and I'm not entirely sure why. So it's confusing um, because there used to be a process um, under the previous administration where. Um, yes, there would be uh, an election. So they, you know, they would they would recommend they would call, they would be like, hey, we got this open spot. They gather all the people. They would go through. Uh, they they would choose the person that would be the interim because what we have what what happened was is someone uh, Judge Pinsky stepped down. Correct. Before, yeah. so I mean, his. That's, so, but that's what you're talking about. It's a different process. Hold on. Okay. Um, so, so then I'm with you. Um, what happened is, uh, so for this time now with Gianforte, so he decided that he wanted to make a committee. So he got, he did away with whatever was happening before. And so then he picked committees through all the different regions and, um, those people said, Hey, you know, we're going to do this again. We're going to, we're going to, um, choose a judge. And so everyone had to get their letters of recommendation together and all that stuff. And they submitted them to these committees and then the committees looked at him and said, okay, it's going to be either Michelle or Dave again, which happened the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they uh, sent that up to uh, Mr. Gianforte, and um, he said, well, I want Dave. 
And so that's that was the weird part about. And and oh, so yeah. there was going to be an election. You're right. And so that was confusing to me. And and so I think this is just my opinion that he didn't need to do that. They should have just left Michelle on the bench, so there would have been no stop in cases. Mm-hmm. And then because they're still going to have the election, like the election that's happening now would still be happening, but just Michelle would have right. been on the bench, and, and none of those cases would have been put off. Would have had disruption. Yeah. And so to, to I get that. Except so to, what I was getting at is. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, we have a primary going on that has both David and Michelle on the ballot for your particular party ballot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'll be a number of people that are going to support them. But then in November, oh. again, they're both going to be back on the ballot. Right. So there is kind of like a primary that, that's and then the a little main, part main that election. So, so th- this election in June is only to get it down to two. And because there's mm-hmm. only so two. It, because there's only two, there it go. seems okay. meaningless. But if yep. there were four people, this election would get it just to the top two. And mm-hmm. then the primary... or whatever the, the, the november yeah like that would then be you'd only vote for those yeah, two that makes sense and, yeah and so yeah. that's okay. that's what the vote in june is i yeah. think there is a third person running so yeah they're going to be yeah. getting it down to two gotcha well, no no she said, that, two she said it's only those two yeah it's Just only two those right two now. and so okay. she said um on the podcast that um this vote is actually, they're both just using it as like a, a meter oh, yeah. to see where T- they stand. Temperature uh, check. And so they can check the temperature and know, oh, we've got to you know do this or that to, to yeah. try to win the election sure. in November. Sure. Yeah, so if she gets a ton more votes than Dave, or if Dave gets a ton more votes, you know. So no, she's Reevaluate gonna, strategy. Right, yep, right, like right. That. So that'll be pretty gotcha. interesting because I've never I've never followed a, a judge's election yeah. before and not I've known nothing about local judges' elections. So it's well, it's really it, interesting. It's funny how so many local races. I shouldn't say it's funny. It's kind of a little bit scary uh, how political they become. You know, oh yeah, the school board election oh, we had not boy. too long ago. You yeah. you would have thought it was um, senators running for office. Mm-hmm. It was uh, something that's not. Supposed to be political became political. I think it's and the proving ground. You know, they you go to the um, school board, you do a good job, you have clout, you you're out of the you're, yeah. you're in those meetings, and people see your face a lot, and then you run for the next step up. Right. I could be guessing, but right. Yeah, that, but just that's what I do. But just the fact that, uh, well, not to name names, but you know, parties threw a lot of um, partisan money went into this school board election very heavily. And it shouldn't have. It should have been, you know, if anything, private people. I mean, how much money is really spent on a school board campaign to begin with? And mm-hmm. it, I mean, comparatively, it was, I, I would imagine, was astronomical with this last one. How many, um, the idea to, to shift um, the school board over to sort of a particular partisan leaning to the right? No. Are we saying to the right? Yeah, we could say that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, no, because <laughs> because it, everything's gotten super political with masks and uh, uh, gender. Yeah, I don't, and I don't want to like... teaching. We don't have to like go down, down, the just so I know what we're talking about. We're yeah. talking about the people that don't like masks, the people that don't believe that we have uh, fair and free elections, the people that... Um, just right-leaning people, but the extreme right, you would say, um, the ones that then, because the the word went out, like, hey, we gotta we gotta start getting ourselves elected into these school boards and these small things, because that's where the power is. Yeah. So now we're seeing this huge, like, almost organized push by the right to yeah. then come and really push hard on these elections. So my question is, when you saw a bunch of money, partisan money, was it both left and right were kind of equal, or was there just a ton of money on the right being poured in, or a ton of money on the left being poured well, in? I would say from the right and part of the right, 
you know, there's the extreme right was pouring in a bunch of money. Yeah, there's, locally. Uh-oh. Yeah, there's quite a riff in um, the Republican Party locally. I don't think anyone has really hidden that. There's really, you know, you're right, and it reminds me a lot of the rift that's in the uh, the hunting. I mean, you, you call it, you're a hunter, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. So, so there's a there's a very similar rift within the hunting community between the old school hunters that like to use the bolt action rifles, mm-hmm. and the um, the more aggressive AR-15 users. Well, they, they call it more aggressive, but there's, yeah. I, I understand it's just yeah. it's just a gun. But they you know they they look different for sure. Yeah. Um, and I just noticed like man, there's a so it's these are both right usually right leaning groups but then there's that more extreme one or the more i don't know it was aggressive or what do you want to call it but yeah there's a weird rift happening right now it's yeah. very interesting what's been your experience with it so far with that mm-hmm. in particular mm-hmm. um i'm recalling a uh, this was an article that was written in hunt magazine about 15 16 years ago yeah let's like. do the hunting angle i like um this. <laughs> where a gentleman i can't re- he was a writer for this magazine but he had referred to um, an Air 15. I think he had actually, like, word for word described it as a terrorist style weapon and didn't have any place in hunting. That was Mr. Jim Sumbo. Was it? Yep. They, okay. they, they actually call it getting Sumboed now if you no. if you write something. Um, anything, any talking point that's against what the NRA says, mm. <coughs> you will be stripped and tarred and feathered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know growing up, um, my father was very old school, mm-hmm. you know, he, uh, he never physically, or he never actually said, you know, um, an AR-15 does not deserve a place hunting. He never went that yeah, far. But, but Jim he did, says, he did call it a terrorist weapon. He did. He yeah. called it those words. <laughs> he went um, hard. Now with my, my father's point of view, for example, which is kind of led into mine, I, I don't have the desire to own one. I'm not going to tell someone they can't. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but I've never seen one hunting. I've, I've seen one. Hmm. I believe someone, not an AR-15, but whatever the the 308 caliber version is. I hmm. think someone had called an AR-10. Does that sound right? It is the AR-10. Okay. <gasps> I just learned that, too. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, so... It's been and, a good two weeks for you, Joe. Right? This like, is not a question. <laughs> None of these questions would he have known two weeks ago. Like, not even even close. Oh, wow. Well. Next yeah. podcast, I'm going to give you guys a class on hunting and weapons <laughs> and go. cartridges. He's been like, doing a ton of research. Go ahead, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, but anyway, and even I didn't see it up where we, we have always elk hunt for probably 20 plus years. Um, where exactly is that? Can where exactly? Way, like the GPS coordinates? Yeah. Send no, us a pin. No. It's, <laughs> it's kind of, it's south, southeast of here. You okay. Just, you just uh, invite us on a hunt. Right. He right. just referenced most of the country. All right. of it. It's like saying, I found some morels last week. Where exactly were you when you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, and it was uh, my hunting party at the end of the day said, oh, did you see the hunter out there? He had one automatics over his shoulder. And that was the first time mm-hmm. we'd ever seen one in 20 plus years up there. I didn't mm-hmm. see it. The group had. Wow. Um, but it's also kind of in my experience that they tend to be not as accurate, mm-hmm. which is one reason I, I don't think I'd want to take one hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, it's nice to have to avoid, the, you know, having to. Uh, chamber a new round every time you shoot pull that bolt all the way back and put it all the way I know, forward so time seems like forever i mean yeah. to me i'm not a i'm not a hunter or a yeah. weapons guy so it does seem like it takes a long time well i but again it's just it's an opinion like, yeah you know um it is an and opinion then, like my father right now i think he's prairie dog hunting out in terry he calls it prairie dog hunting not that mm-hmm. he's going to strip these things down and make uh, jerky out of them or anything but um he's got you know 22 weatherby out there which is an automatic mm-hmm. you know um, by definition, an automatic, no different than say an AR-15, which is also a 22 caliber. So then you get into that mm-hmm. debate on, well, if we're going to make, you know, uh, 
you know, if we're going to enforce rules or make rules for automatic weapons, you know, yeah. calibers are caliber. You have a twenty-two caliber here that is seems very traditional. You have a twenty-two caliber over here that appears a little more militant. Yeah, you know, um, you know that's, that that's why there's never really a one-size-fits-all with so many things, including that conversation. You know, what that's I mean? so, so true. I always thought that there was a ban on AR-15s, you know, for the longest time, and I learned that there wasn't. Like, there's never right. been a ban on an AR-15. There was an assault. They called it an assault weapons ban, but within the actual wording was just like the super big magazines and yeah, the fully, fully magazine. automatic stuff and like certain things like that. And I was like, whoa. Because I, I thought that all Democrats wanted to take away everyone's weapons, and that's that's been the talking points. And then when you read it, no, it's never been done. ARs have always been legal. You've yeah. always been able to have one. Now, I, I did get into a conversation with a person once. I said, and this was you know my fault, I believe, because I kind of jumped to a conclusion. But I said, why is it we're trying to push this particular firearm as a hunting option? Mm-hmm. Good when, question. When it hasn't been until very recently. And someone had shared with me... Uh, advertisement i think from the early 70s mm-hmm. of the ar-15 as uh, a hunting oh yeah and of course i didn't physically see it in my hands in a magazine so there it was advertised but they mm-hmm. shared it with me and i realized well this thing has been an option for quite a while apparently yeah. it has yeah. uh but again that old school <clears throat> or old-fashioned way of thinking you know mm-hmm. that this is not a hunting weapon um had probably kept it out of the popularity of using it for so long and yeah but, I mean, hunting has really become such a diverse thing now compared to 50, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, it, it reminds me of music in this way. Like, imagine you're going to a group of 1950s-style doo-wop singers, and they're all in their little suits and ties, and they're all looking perfect. And they're playing music. They're all holding guitars or whatever. And then yeah. a punk rocker comes in with a mohawk, you know what I mean, in a spike leather jacket. Like, to me, that's the AR you know, everyone's like, whoa, what's this guy? Oh, right. man. But his name. Or his, or his beat board. Yeah. His, right? Uh, that, that just on demand can have mm-hmm. drums, guitar, somebody's yep. sound effect and whatever. And they're like, what, you don't do that all on your own? Yep. We're making right. music. You don't pull the bolt back and push it all the way forward every mm-hmm. time. You just pull the trigger. <laughs> right. You know, it's kind of that same mm-hmm. right, kind so of my, mentality. My question would be, and this isn't mm-hmm. an end-all, be-all, but... Um, the folks then that would slide over from the doo-wop to the Ramones, for example, because sure. that was now an option. Are they mm-hmm. doing it because they they sincerely think that's better music mm-hmm. or just because it's the popular thing for the day and everyone says, well, now we got to start listening to these guys, so let's start listening to these guys. And it um, wouldn't be my place to say why a person chooses, for example, to own an AR-15. Right. Um, well, but are you doing it? Cause some people, I've had people admit to me the only reason that they do open carry is because they like to see people's reaction. It looks cool. And and I get that. I mean, that's a personal choice. It's mm-hmm. not for me to say why a person does or doesn't. But is that the right reason to do it? The whole philosophy behind it is personal safety, not to mm-hmm. get attention and to start conversations and arguments and yeah. rebel rouse, you know. And But, again, we're so, thinking out loud here. So, so I read a book um, by Ryan Boosie, um, and he was one of the uh, one of the people that put together Kimber. Like he sure. built Kim, made it what it was, and then he he realized that the um, he thought that the NRA and the gun the gun well the NRA specifically was becoming radicalized, hmm. and he noticed that um, he like they would just use fear all of a sudden. Like before, when he first got into it, it was more the old school thing, like Jim Sumbo. He would be like, "Man, AR-15s are kind of aggressive looking," mm-hmm. and as a hunter. We want to be seen 
as conservationists. We want to be seen as con- kind of stewards cons- of the land. Stewards of the land. Right. We we don't want to be seen and lumped in with people that are aggressive and terroristic like and warriors. Like that's not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're out here enjoying our public lands and harvesting the meat that it has on there, or, or you know having our target practice for sport. That's how we want to be seen to live within this um, society. Mm-hmm. And um, his article, when I read it. I, you know, I, and, and, and Ryan Boosie, Jim Sumbo and then Ryan Boosie, they, the way they described it, I mean, I could actually feel myself as that young, young punk coming in with like an AR-15 and having all the old guard look at you and go, ugh, because actually Ryan uh, Boosie tells a story about that happened to him. He was holding a gun event and he, he okayed someone to show up with an AR-15 and then they did. And that nothing, you know, all friendly and just target practice and like an event. Mm. <clears throat> but the uh, however many 40, 50 other older guys there with their bolt action rifles looked at him. Everyone stopped talking. Everyone looked at him and then everyone shamed him so bad that they made him put that gun back in its case and put it really? away. Yes. Mm. And so this is in the late 90s, let's say. Um, and. And, and he was like, whoa, that was crazy. And so they, it was the same thing. They, would, they did not want to be associated with that symbol. It's just a symbol, you know? Yeah. And so um, I could see the other side of that. Like, gosh, you know, I just, when I personally picked up an AR-15, I was reminded of my military service. And I was like, oh, I'm, I would feel very safe with this weapon. I, I, and, and the safer you feel and more comfortable you feel with a weapon, the safer it's going to be for you to operate that weapon and the more ethical you are oh, going to sure. be yeah. with that weapon. So, so I, I just initially gravitated towards it, you know, and I still do. I don't know. But, but on the other hand, I do want to take into account, like, I don't want, I don't want people to associate me with some aggressive person that's all warrior-like, even though I was in the Marines and I did use that weapon. I don't want to make people uneasy when they see me. Mm. If they see me with a weapon, I want them to go, oh, he's probably going to go hunting with that. That's yeah. that. That's what that looks like. Not, oh, he might go storm a building with that. Because, right. because then the extreme right has taken the AR-15 and they've used that symbol and put it on everything. They've put it on symbols. Mm-hmm. Brian's wearing a hat with it on there. And it's just a, it's a symbol that says we are aggressive. And, and even I made the connection um, because they, when they were first writing about the AR-15, they would kind of use negative terminology for it. And yeah. one of the negative things that they would, uh, the, the names they would use was uh, the black rifle. Hmm. You know what I mean? The oh. evil, the black rifle. And now we have black rifle coffee. So they've, they've kind of taken that and gone, you know what? We like this aggressive look. We like this kind of military yeah. style. And so Taking we'd, we'd like to negative. promote it. Yeah. yeah. We, we represent that younger buck with the AR 15. That's just trying to, I mean, cause they shoot the same round, you know, yeah. they may have different things here and there, but they shoot the same round. They're really good for this and that. And they're just trying to be seen. And then I don't know. So there's a battle there, but then I just think the ARE got, an NRA got way off course because they just realized that if they use these super extreme messages, mm-hmm. they sell the most guns. And so I, I don't know if there's like an evil entity thing going, ah, let's make everyone angry. I just think they're like, well, well this is what the numbers tell us. We want to make the most money. So, hey, man, let's just say that the Democrats are trying to take all of our guns. Because when that happens, everyone buys guns because yeah. they're afraid that no one's going to be able to buy guns. So sales go up. So let's keep them afraid. Well, I don't necessarily think, you know, that there's a curtain somewhere with one person sitting behind it deciding right. all these things. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Pause, right? That's not reality. It doesn't it's make sense. There's like going to be two people at least. At least two. Okay. Or, or the pentavrit. The pentavrit? Um, 
No, it's, I guess you could say it's something similar to, um, I'm also a hunter's ed instructor. I won't talk about that a whole lot. You should talk about it. Um, okay. But um, <laughs> even when I took hunter's ed as a kid, we talked about how, you know, if you, um, if you end up harvesting a deer, for example, mm-hmm. um, best not to throw it on your hood, strap it down, and drive through town to go grab coffee. Because of how it looks? Not that you can't do that. We don't want to say you can't, uh-huh. but we, we want hunting to be around for a long time. Yeah. And public opinion will eventually shift policy Mm -hmm. over time through representation and all these other things. So best to be nice, to appreciate the fact that the the vegetarian family that pulls up next to you, if they look over and they see that you're hunting and they see a tarp in the back, that's going to look a lot better than seeing, you know, an animal bleeding off the hood of your truck. Yeah, Which a lot of people have done. You don't see it much anymore. I like to think it's people Mm -hmm. being empathetic, but at the end of the day, people will... They remind me I don't have to be empathetic. That's yep. it's my right to not be empathetic. It's people, not the law. F your feelings. That's right. right. So yeah, we, F your feelings. Yep. Um, that's been popularized to be macho been. and just to just to be the biggest meanie, the yeah. the one that has the biggest insult, and that's what we raise up on a pedestal. Right. And it, so it, it, you know, going back to what we were talking about just before, it mm-hmm. might have something to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that I don't think people should hunt with it, but try to keep the image to the point when if someone sees a hunter, for example, they're not instantly scared. Right. You know, and if all hunters in orange are wearing AR-15s, um, might look a little scary to some people. Yeah, even though it, it probably wouldn't look mm-hmm. scary to me. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. anyway, I don't know. Again, we're thinking out loud. So. Yeah. If I had an AR-15, I'd probably just put, like, I'd probably paint it pink, you know, and put like little... <laughs> Little cartoon cats on it and stuff like that. Well, I bought. See if uh, that could eat, I bought my wife her first pistol for Christmas a year and a half ago, and I got. Uh, um, I, you know, I colorized it with a purple grip for her. You know, it's hey. got Hello Kitty on the back of it. Good choice. Yeah, no, that's, that's for my wife. But uh, then there's a part of me too that thinks about when I was a kid. You know, squirt guns still look like they were metal, and we started having color put on the squirt guns that way. Oh, if yeah. someone saw it, they'd see, oh, that's got a blaze orange tip. So that's a squirt gun. We know that eight-year-old's not running around with a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now the guns we can buy customized are starting to look like squirt guns that have been painted to not look like real guns. Oh, yeah. And it even it kind of blurs it just a little more, even though, I don't know. It's Yeah, good point. I was looking yeah. around. I was at Shields the other day just kind of actually doing some in-person shopping because I was Googling myself into oblivion. Mm-hmm. But I noticed there are some really jazzy colors like purples and pinks and greens and they're all like neon colored and paint splattered and i'm like this is kind of i mean i don't know it's kind of cool but i thought that because i mean i was like aren't they supposed to be like camouflage or black or something like that i'm still not like a hundred percent yeah well then again i mean from a point of view uh, a pink polka dot air 15 is not going to look near as intimidating as a camouflaged one. It's going to be the exact same gun. I bet you if we yeah. Google this, this is probably already a thing. There's probably just a company that has... Well, the the, the video I sent you, the funny one about uh, the gun shop, has a, a, flower, a flower one or something flower like that. AR yeah. or something. It has some kind of semi-automatic weapon in mm. it that's flower-colored. And Good thinking. Whatever. Well, one of my hobbies, and I haven't done So it's it definitely already a thing. Um, is uh, polyester resin casting. You know, like people do on countertops and stuff like that. And, uh-huh. The clear stuff? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. but you can color tint it and th- mm-hmm. things like that. So what I did is I created a mold of a 1022 Ruger stock, and I filled it up with uh, a light blue um, 
polyester resin. So it looks like a big, almost crystallized um, thing. And I put a small little dream catcher in the stock, kind of like the Weatherby has the diamond on the on the grip. And, it, uh-huh. and I called it a dream catcher, and I wanted to start making them. Well, I sold it on eBay, ironically, like two weeks ago for 90 bucks. Whoa. Um, but I had ideas. I had actually gotten little molds where I could make colored uh, gummy bears. So I was going to do a clear one and have all these multicolored gummy bears floating in it, you know. Yes. Just have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's the whole point. And, you know, if you want to go to business, you come up with something that no one else has done and mm-hmm. try to corner it. But I don't know. That didn't really go to much just because polyester resin so expensive. And I really didn't have the, the desire at that time to try to cheap it down and whatnot. But customizing things. I'm, I have a T-shirt that actually says uh, I void warranties. Because nothing I own goes without me tinkering with it at some point. You know, I bought my Jeep, my Jeep Wrangler stock, and now it's anything but. Yeah, I saw your Jeep. I was um, like, this guy is a Jeep guy. He's not just a stock Jeep driver. Nah. Brian's going to have to check it out. We were both yeah. car guys, and we sold Jeeps. so. Oh, gotcha. We'll know exactly the type of person. We should just we should have just looked at your Wrangler before the podcast, and then we, would, we wouldn't even need to ask you any questions. everything about you as a person that I need to know yeah. just by looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because yeah, Jeep Wrangler tells us one thing. We already know like a million things about you now. Yeah, but just right. to then see what you chose, oh, man, we're going to know everything. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> It's a superpower we have. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, so I'm all for customizing. I mean, yeah, anything. Mm-hmm. We're kind of getting off topic, I guess. Now we're talking about. Well, it. the topic of a crystallized AR-15 that shoots clear gummy bears is always <laughs> on topic for yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. Oh, why not? Why not? Well, and this we don't really have a topic. Like this is just sitting around a campfire <laughs> with you, uh, get to know you a little bit, and so sure. yeah. It's, it's um, Joe has been doing nothing but researching the hunting world weapons and all sorts of stuff for the last two weeks and so it's definitely oh, gonna it's definitely gonna stream that way because he's mm-hmm. he's been he's been involved gotcha. in it because i uh, just to add my two cents to top the conversation off ultimately most of the world around us is ruled by money all all of the world around us is ruled by money and mm-hmm. so you know i i'm not a huge like um conspiracy person or whatever but like some people just like Actually, a lot of the money that goes towards uh, hunting and conservation and end our lands is from people that will never hunt because mm-hmm. there is a ton of target shooters out there oh, yeah. that just love to, to shoot. There's some people that also love to prep because yeah. they do have this, this, whether it's rationalized or not, they have a little fear that like they're not protected. They want to be able to protect yeah. themselves. I love the fact that we live in a free country and the person that does feel a little unsafe can buy himself an AR-15 and go and practice at a target range and and be able to do that and not have to be secretive about it, right? Like, he yeah. can just go out and do that. I also love the fact that somebody that doesn't want to get involved in guns doesn't have to go through any of the classes and they're not forced to do any of that, you know? And so I just love the fact that we can be in a free country where, yeah, we can talk about conspiracy, we can talk about, you know, the NRA and I, I'm sure, but all of them just want to make money mm-hmm. and they're doing it in a way that they know us, the general public are attracted to maybe not all yeah. of us, but a majority of yeah. the people that are involved with them are attracted to it. Mm-hmm. And, and it is a, a free market. And, yeah. and so if we don't like the way we're going, it's because we all kind of <laughs> right. spend our money that way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would, that right. that one AR that's in the, the the video I sent you that has flowers on it, mm-hmm. I would love that gun. That'd be so. I cool. would love that gun. I'm yeah. never gonna buy it, mm. but I would love it. <laughs> I yeah. would love it. 
Um, unicorns. When you started talking about a pink AR, mm-hmm. and you you said kittens, uh-huh. I thought unicorn. That would be like fun. like one big unicorn. That when you took the magazine out, part of the unicorn was like like on the magazine. So each magazine like could have like right like something <laughs> that <laughs> completed the picture. <clears throat> oh yeah, because like it's just it's just attractive. Uh-huh. Like it's just right. cool. It's just uh, an aesthetic. But underneath all of it, I think the other people on the other side, or these people on this side, we're all up in arms about different things. And so even though it's just a cool design on uh, a scary looking rifle, Mm -hmm. anybody can twist that to be something else. And I I follow this page on Instagram. um, Dang it. I can't, I can't remember the name right now, but it, uh, it is about um, it's, it's, it's motto is like, no one's coming to save you. And Mm -hmm. so it's all about like having the right first aid kit in your vehicle um, knowing how to pull your gun out quick because, you know, there are bad things that happen, whether it's left or right. Bad things happen, especially Chicago, New York, like, mm. you know, some bad things happen. And so they, they're like, oh, you got to you got to prep for this. You got to know how to make your own food. You got to know how to do this. And they're on the side of almost kind of like the creepy preppers. Mm-hmm. But then the, the people that follow them are kind of just average. I bought a first aid kit from them because I'm like, I wish I had a first aid kit that was right. better than the one I could just get at Walmart. Right to keep uh-huh. in my pack, because you can get into some bad accidents when you trip over a log or you fall on a. You, when you're like cutting animals to prep them to bring back to your your truck, you can cut yourself, and those are really really sharp knives. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, okay, so what what I'm really trying to say is, um, you know, we've got far left, we've got far right. I think both of them just keep all of us in the middle on our toes yeah and so um, we used to say it all the time when i was a pastor like let anybody ask you any question mm-hmm. because like if it's true it should hold up to scrutiny whatever it is yeah, and so right. if it's true that ar-15s are the devil well mm-hmm. then like the far left who's against that should be able to prove why yeah if it's a true thing facts Let's will, will get it. you there mm-hmm. and and the, the far right if they say you know um uh, no, uh, every every uh, cell is a life. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's true, through all the scrutiny, it should it should come out as true. You yeah. know, so whatever those things are. But I do think that <laughs> the truth lies somewhere in the middle, right? And it I tends feel, to. yeah, I feel that um, even just in this room, we're kind of a good kind of picture of what the middle kind of looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And we've talked many times in the podcast that Joe's. Slightly left, I'm slightly right, but we're both kind of centric. Mm. And then we have uh, a Democratic candidate here. Purple Democratic candidate. With a Weatherby hat on. With a gun right. hat on. Yeah, with man. With a literal gun hat on, yeah. And, and then all of us have military experience, correct? Um, I don't. Oh, okay. I thought, no. I thought you said something about uh, overseas. Well, I, I, run, I taught English in Korea for a while. Oh, um, that's what the overseas was. Okay, yeah, well, we all have overseas experience. Yeah, huh? okay. and, and a lot of people get that, especially some of my friends who I've known for two years. I had a, um, my friend Ralph, for example. I knew him for a year and a half, and he started talking about the military like I would know what he was talking yeah, about yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean by that? And he looks at me like, well, you were in the military. I said, no. Were you in Korea? <laughs> like oh well maybe I should have specified right even you know? if you had said mm. even if you had said overseas in Korea we both probably would have thought the yeah. same thing you were yeah. stationed over there okay mm-hmm. but yeah. you taught English I did ah oh, I wish more people knew that that was a career choice they could take oh gee whiz yeah because like you can make some good money you can see the world and 
Well, everywhere wants to learn English. Consider that when I did it in mm-hmm. 2008, the requirements to be a, a public school English teacher in Korea, and I don't think this has changed. I think the funding might have shrunk the, the pool down for how much they hire. But you could have a degree in literally anything from an accredited four-year university, mm-hmm. be a native English speaker, mm-hmm. and be able to do that with no teaching experience. Obviously, there were criteria, you mm-hmm. know, what your criminal record was like, things right, like that. Right, 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 right. They didn't take just anybody. Um, but I knew a lot of people there. They go over there, they teach English for three, four years, they pay off their student loans while they're doing it, and then they come back. Or some, stay over there. Yeah, in some of those um, cases, like housing's included and like all yeah. sorts of stuff. That, my, and it was funny, the fact that I was paid in won, the currency. Oh. So I think I was making 21 million won a month or something <laughs> like that for a while. And just to say you were making this kind of bank and you tell folks, okay, no, it was $2,100. <laughs> you know? But they gave you an apartment. Um, oh, and they treated you great. I mean, I don't know exactly where you guys, if uh, where you were, if you were in Korea, if you're familiar with Korea. I, I only um, just had a bunch of friends that were over there. Okay. They, they loved, that was, aside from the weather, because it can get like Pretty ridiculously extreme. cold mm. in Korea. Like hmm. it was one of the worst weather places that people would, yeah. would talk Ironically, about. Ironically, when I went there, they says, well, where would you like to teach at? Because there were a lot of different schools. And I was trying to find something that was comparable to Livingston, where I lived at the time. Um, just because I liked the mountains, I really didn't want to live in a patty somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so they put me in uh, the same county, um, uh, uh, Pyeongchang, uh, which is where the Olympics was held, uh, oh. the Winter Olympics a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. So literally cool. one of the coldest places in South Korea yeah. is where I was. And, God, why would you want to be here? I don't know. It kind of feels like home. Yeah. A lot more yeah. humid than yeah. Livingston, obviously. But um, So I loved that. And then the, well, the summers were ridiculous as they are here sometimes too but Mm -hmm. um i could talk about that all day and of course i hopped from south korea to a couple countries nearby and the hyundai corporation actually uh at the time had a uh a day tour which crossed the dmz into north korea which i took advantage of for a day cool so i actually got my passport stamped with the dprk stamp and everything and i got to be in north korea where i was unprotected from you know the bubble of bubble of freedom around me. So. Wow. wow! I could talk about that too. I was going to say I don't think I don't think that's possible anymore. I don't think so. And at when I first went to Korea, it wasn't. But for whatever reason, in the summer of two thousand eight, President Bush had announced made some announcement that Americans could now travel there as tourists. Wow! Whether or not you would be accepted or get into it was a different question. Um, but I heard about that, and I looked, and they were all booked. And then. Uh, I believe it was a South Korean tourist who did a tour to North Korea to uh, an ocean resort on the um, by the uh, the East Sea. Um, ended up crossing the line, being shot by a guard. She wasn't listening to commands to stop walking down that path. She didn't listen. She ended up being killed. Um, and ironically, all of these uh, tickets for these tours started opening up. And I thought, well, this is my opportunity to grab one. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, didn't it's seem like the greatest of decision, but. Yeah, um, we can't, like, just, like, jog by this. So, <laughs> so like, what was your experience in North Korea? Oh, boy. Um, so there's uh, an area just north of the border, south of the North Korean city of um, Kaesong. And it's called the Kaesong Industrial Complex. And if memory serves, I might be wrong. It was 
a complex primarily built by South Korean engineers um, owned by the Hyundai Corporation, which I think is why we this tour even existed. Mm. And it was during that sunshine diplomacy at the end of last century, the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I sound ancient when I say that, <laughs> in the last century, where um, the two countries were actually in this period of calm. They actually marched together in the uh, the 2000 Olympics. People don't remember that. The oh, two countries yeah. marched together with a unified Korea flag. Oh, wow. Not. But then obviously 9-11, a lot of different things in the world changed that, but... But that being said, anyway, so we, we left Seoul, uh, South Korea, at about, God, 5.30 in the morning. It was still dark. Mm-hmm. Crossed over into the DMZ, went by all the barriers on the single highway where there are no vehicles on it. And then we got to this point where there was a line on the highway, and they said, okay, now we're in North Korea. And, of course, at that point, it started getting a little worrisome, like, well, we're there. No turning around now. Uh, but we went through their customs, make sure we weren't smuggling anything in or out. Nobody smiled. Everyone was in the very official North Korean military gear, gold and red suits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, gal I was seeing at the time went with me. Um, she pointed out that she wasn't seeing anyone smiling. You know, everyone was very serious. And I know how to say some phrases in Korean, so I was trying to say thank you, and it was just being brushed off as, you know, okay, whatever. Right. Um, we weren't allowed to take pictures from the bus, and there were a couple of buses that went up there. And we would go around the corner on occasion, and we'd see a North Korean soldier with uh, what I'm assuming was a Kalashnikov over the one shoulder, uh, but it could have been another weapon. But And they would have a red flag down at their side. And we would kind of hint, hint, talk about what are we seeing when we see this. And the idea is if any one of those soldiers ever saw a camera up at the window of the bus um, taking a picture, they would put the flag up. And at that point, the, the North Korean minders that were on the bus with us would tell the bus to stop. They would board the bus, figure out whose camera that was, and confiscate it. We were not allowed to take pictures out of the bus. So you would see this every few blocks. Suddenly they'd be under a tree or they'd be next to a building. Uh, And we went to this, I can't remember what the name of the waterfall was, Um, but there was carvings there, you know, ancient carvings. Um, Of course, there were newer red carvings over the top of it. It was very much a state national heritage site or something along mm-hmm. those lines mm-hmm. um but anyway then we uh we went to a restaurant this was in the city of Kaesong, a city of i want to say about a hundred fifty thousand people mm-hmm. very substantial and i maybe saw 12 vehicles on the road i was gonna say it like was how many people sparse. did you actually see a lot of bikes a lot of people on bikes oh. one bus it was like a public transportation bus always seemed to drive right by our restaurant like to show, hey, we got public transportation, but there was no one on it except for the driver. And then you'd see there was this one guy on a bike that I felt like was purposely just driving around. And it felt like the Truman Show. If you ever saw that movie with Jim Carrey where he realizes, like, Mm -hmm. is this whole society scripted around me? Um, But we walked outside, and there was a huge statue of, uh, they call him the great leader, obviously, Kim Kim Il-sung, the Mm. one who... uh, uh, Ruled North Korea for about 50 years until he died in the 90s. So there was that big gold statue of him at the end of the road. And uh, we asked if we could take pictures of it. And they said, from here, sure, go ahead. Um, but if we asked we walked to it, they says, well, then you got to do the traditional three bows to it. Um, and, of course, in Korean culture, a lot of cultures there, bowing is a big deal. Mm-hmm. You bow to your boss. You bow to your older friends. Um, you give two bows if it's in a position of authority like the president or something three bows is meant for like gods 
yeah. and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, obviously no one was going to go up there and give three bows to this big gold statue, so no one took him up on the offer to do it because we knew better. Um, but, boy, after we left that uh, restaurant we were leaving, they drove the buses past the elementary school, and they brought all these little kids out, these cute little kids in their school uniforms to wave at the goofy Americans driving by, I guess. And uh, we were waving back at them. Their school uniforms kind of looked like the Cracker Jack kid. And, of course, the North Korean flag is red, white, and blue, so we were seeing that all over, too. And it was a weird sort of – it was odd, but it was also sort of a comfort to see these red, white, and blue flags everywhere. It kind of mm-hmm. felt like you were mm-hmm. back home to a weird degree. But um, but we went by this elementary school, and as God is my witness, I'm not making this up, this kid had to have been seven, maybe – had a cardboard or a plywood cutout of a Kalashnikov with a bayonet, you know. And he brought it underneath to show the buses, to hold it out and show the buses as we drove by. And his teacher caught him and pushed it back in, like, they're not supposed to see that. So, of course, I saw it. I didn't say anything until we crossed the border back south, and then I started spreading the word, like, did you guys see that? Now, whether or not I was supposed to see it, I don't know. That, too, could have been staged. Mm-hmm. But um, we weren't allowed to take pictures of old buildings because any picture had to be a functioning building. That way, you know, anyone going to North Korea didn't see, you know, that there were buildings in need of repair. Mm-hmm. It has to be perfect, mm-hmm. you know. So, But I could, boy, I could go into that more depth, but that was just a very weird, surreal day of my life. And that was in October 20th or so of 2008. Wow. But Man. We oh. we were selling cars at that point. You and I were selling cars together. Well, yeah, we were selling yeah. we were selling the jeeps that you would later drive. Yep. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and so, man, I I could I could talk a lot, but I, like North Korea is just this. It's almost an alien world. Mm. And when you hear of like you know people that have escaped and you know listen to some of those, I've listened to some of those podcasts, and it's just crazy and then the people that are lucky enough like i don't know how many americans have actually been in north korea but it's a countable number right like yeah like you you're among a a i don't think it's in the thousands i mean i would assume it's just like a point zero zero kind of percentage of americans that have been in north korea so that's wow Wow, when you said that you made uh, millions of won, I was yeah. like, oh, well, this might be our first millionaire on the podcast, right? Yeah, right. Cool. It could be. And then now it's like <laughs> probably the only person that's ever been to North Korea. I, that one I can definitely say for sure, right? Yeah. We, we've had a New York Times bestseller. I'm not sure if he was a millionaire. Um, you know, yeah, so sure like maybe we've had you know another millionaire him. on here, but we've definitely <laughs> not had anybody from North Korea. And then, yeah, most most of the you know whether it's an article I read or a YouTube video I've watched or whatever, like they all talk about how it just feels so staged, hmm. like they prepped for you for months coming yeah. over, and everybody mm-hmm. you're looking at is some kind of not not paid but state actor. Yeah, that's that's meant to do this thing. Even the kids, like you're just gonna go and wave. You're you're gonna you know. Yeah. Um, I think the one film that came out here a number of years ago, it was the one that uh, with Seth Rogen and James Franco. Um, oh, can't think of the name of the it interview. Right now. The interview. Oh, the interview. Yeah. yeah. Ironically, the interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing I liked most about that is uh, obviously they went to the Capitol, which is a showcase city. You know, it's it's propped up for pure propaganda. You know, but. Little things like the fat little kid with the huge sucker on the side of the road that they made sure that they saw 
Yeah. You know, even though I didn't see that, that just kind it reminded me so much of the little things. Like they drove us by or they brought us to a, a temple complex there in that city. And they said it was a fully functioning temple. People still practice and worship there, but I never saw a single worshiping person there. You know, it was, I don't know, those things. But maybe they were super anyway. into camouflage. Could have been. Could have been. Actually, that's the first time, too, that I had a, I had a North Korean minder walk up and stop me with what I was doing and ask for my camera, and it scared the bejesus out of me for a second. Because right. I was standing up sort of at the top of this complex, and there were multiple pagodas, multiple buildings. And it just almost kind of looked like uh, mountaintops. It's just kind of a neat scene. Mm-hmm. So I pulled my camera up, and I took a picture of it. And, of course, all of the tops of the, the buildings were um, in focus. you know. So I got the picture I wanted. But because I was taking a picture of the skyline, which could, I guess, help determine where certain points were, mm. he walked up and says, no, no, you can't do that. And I oh. showed him the picture, and he nodded and said, okay, because he saw what I was doing. Yeah. But that's the first time that, for a brief moment, I was pretty scared. Like, am I going to get arrested and end up in a gulag? I was like, going to say, you know, like, that's out of all the places in the world to get arrested, probably that's on the North bottom Korea. of my list. Yeah. Probably That's not. on the bottom of my list. Now they see a fat American white guy in the prison there. I'm as good as toast, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. Yeah. And, of course, not a year goes by that you don't hear of. Actually, the last time I heard of um, American tourism in North Korea was, God, what was this, seven or eight years ago? Could have been even longer where uh, it was actually a Korean war vet had gone up there. And as... Many veterans do, especially like I hear veterans returning to Vietnam, for example, where they go back to get a little bit of closure from these experiences they have. He had done the same um, on a personal level, I believe, and I can't remember the gentleman's name or anything. But he had commented to one of the minders that he was a Korean War vet when he was there. And uh, I think he was just wanting to open up and have a conversation about it, but he ended up being held and uh, basically arrested and had to do the propaganda video of my army shouldn't have been here to begin with, you know, American capitalism, blah, 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 you know? Wow. And he got returned, but I think half a year, at least a few months, that poor old guy was stuck over there. So I know, I know, um, Dennis Rodman was over there pretty recently, <laughs> but we, oh, don't have, yeah. we don't have to talk about that, but he, he was over there, but yeah. Um, yeah. You, and you hear almost like don't hear of stories like that happening. And it's just crazy in, a, in, in the world today that that's something that, that still exists. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lisa Ling, the, um, um, gosh, what, expose, I'm trying to think of what she would, you would call her, but she did that video about inside North Korea. Um, I have, I'm going to have to look Where they up. basically smuggled cameras in for some reason because they were, I think what it was, the cover was they were going to do a documentary on... Um, uh, eye surgeries there through the Red Cross or something along those lines. But she ended up basically having all this footage and made this documentary. And then it was a couple of years later, um, one of the journalists was held captive there, was arrested for a while, and it was her sister. But no one had mentioned it. And you kind of look at the big picture and you're like, well, I know why right. <laughs> she was arrested. Her sister made this video. Yeah. Um, but it just was kind of brushed on the wayside. This would have been like probably... 2010 2011 something like that so it just wasn't getting attention and so so lisa ling there was this uh, when i was in high school there was this thing we used to watch called channel one whittle channel one News. were you a channel one school 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Anderson and, Cooper. And Lisa Lisa Ling. Lisa Ling. Yeah. Lisa Ling. And that's how I I got to know Lisa Ling. Yep. Not got to know, right? Like yeah. you get to know any kind of like personality on TV. Yeah. And then when I was in Iraq, we were in the banking district uh, in 2003. And, you know, we took over and then regarding this like banking district in Baghdad, uh-huh. Lisa Ling showed up because she was filming a documentary on biblical artifacts that are in Iraq. And there oh. was biblical artifacts that were underneath um, three stories of water because, like the the security system in one of the banks in there was when something bad happened, it just flooded all the safes. Oh, and so like there was there was just flooding, and so they spent um, a couple days trying to just pump the water out, but as fast as they could pump it, it was just going right back in. Mm. And so then they had to bring, literally, this is like we're we're not even moving from what was it, OIF to OEIF, whatever whatever the acronyms were. Like, we were still in active, like, combat assault. Yeah. They brought scuba divers and brought scuba divers to open up the safes so they could see if these artifacts were here. And or even like, there. And, and so if you watch, I have the Lisa Ling special on DVD, um, and if you and if you watch it, you can see we had a change of command while we were there, and they filmed that change of command. We got a new captain, um, a, a new CO, and they filmed part of that shows up, and I'm like, huh, that's pretty. I was on guard, so like you don't get to see me at all. I'm right. not in it, but it was really cool because I got to see Lisa Ling, and I was like, you were on Channel One, right. you were like my hero in high school. Yeah. It was so cool. Well, Anderson Cooper, that's where he got his start right. too, I believe. Right. He was like the the guy who was in off to the war zones or on the edge of it, you know. Right. But yeah, it would pop on every day, right, like in our homeroom class, yep. and yep. play for about twenty minutes. Yep. You know, and and you got to yeah. So you, Joe, by the look on your face, you weren't a Channel One, yeah. Channel One school, Channel One yeah. school. Yeah. Just feeding propaganda to the kids. Mm. It was it was cool. It it like gave us like yeah, it was very news neat. and different things before Google, right? Mm-hmm. So like, it gave us like news and they they all seemed like cool youngish. Yeah. You know, reporters that were up early twenties, late yeah, teens. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. and. So they were kind of your age, quote unquote, and it was just cool. So Lisa Ling was one I always remembered. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I'll be darned. Later on, she ends up in North Korea. Yeah. Looking yeah. for yeah. her sister. She actually ended up being like, like, and still is like one of the, one of the best reporters out there for some of this yeah. digging deep kind of stuff. Like, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Worked for yeah. National Geographic and all that. Anyway, that but was a whole, that was a whole trail there. I mean. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But no, I. Uh, I was there. yeah but no um no it was great my time in korea was awesome the korean people are just amazing your 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 guests are your royalty there um i couldn't think of any negative experiences that i remember and of course you know i went to north korea hopped over to china this is during the summer of the olympics you know one thing i did notice um and it doesn't take too long to notice i think in a lot of asian cultures is that um if you're a big guy especially if you got a belly and you're physically active, they think that's just the neatest thing in the world. Because I remember when I got climbed to the top of the Great Wall of China, I was probably about 270 pounds. I was dripping wet by the time I got there, but that's me. Like, I wasn't going to go to China and not climb to the top of this wall. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. And there were more people taking pictures of me at the top of the wall than they were at the wall. They just, <laughs> they're, like, getting next to me, speaking languages I don't understand. Well, look at this pictures guy. With me. And the same thing when I went to... Japan. I I couldn't figure out what to do in Tokyo for three days um, because I didn't have a whole lot of money and Tokyo is a very expensive city. So I decided, no, I'm just going to go up to Mount Fuji. And I said, what the heck? I'm going to climb it. 
So mm-hmm. without really much planning, which I should have had, I climbed it. And again, at the top, you know, more people thought it was neat to see someone my size at the top of the mountain than it was to see the mountain. But cool. But then uh, on the way down, I ended up getting lost. And I didn't logically think about what trail I should be on. And it split without proper signage. And in hindsight, I should have known I was taking the wrong turn. Mm-hmm. But I took it, and having literally just climbed a huge mountain, there was no strength in my legs left when I finally realized I was heading down the wrong way. I turned around took three steps back up, and I was at least a mile from getting to where I made the mistake. I knew it was either down or bust at Mm -hmm. that point. I couldn't Mm -hmm. turn around. And so I ended up going down through the woods, and by then it got dark. And so I'm basically lost in the forest coming off the wrong side of Mount Fuji on the edge of that infamous suicide forest. Oh. You know, which is where they that's say... That's not creepy. You don't want to go in... But, of course, at the time, I didn't know that. I knew it was near Fuji, but I didn't realize I was literally walking through it at night by myself. And I ended up, <laughs> and I ended up finding a cabin. Like the mountain pulled you there. Okay, go right, on. Right, <laughs> And so I ended up finding this, uh, this cabin. Lucky you. Lucky me. <laughs> and I thought, uh, well, uh, whoever is in this cabin be it three bears or anything, they're not going to care if I sleep. So I found the door, let myself in, um, was using the flash on my um, digital camera, which was draining the battery fast. It was one of those older cameras Mm -hmm. that I found a bed. I was sleeping in it, or I laid down, couldn't get to sleep because having just climbed a mountain back and forth, the sweat was just pouring off me. All of this with only having drunk a 20-ounce thing of water Mm. because I just didn't think about it. And, of course, water got more expensive as you went up the mountain yeah. so then by the time i realized Genius. i needed more water i couldn't afford it <laughs> you um, can't afford water oh no so then uh so there i am and i start hearing japanese voices outside the cabin i stick my head out and i start saying hello and of course flashlights and they said you can't camp here I said i'm not camping i'm lost so i end up being a college student he says okay come down with us so about an hour later we made it out of this forest and then the most expensive taxi of my life, I think it ended up being about $180 to take me all the way back to town, you know, wow. but, uh, but luckily I had some funds in reserve and that used them up pretty quick, but yeah, no, just amazing. Um, visited Hiroshima and Nagasaki too. Um, one thing, and I know I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I'm a talker, uh, we always think about, you know, we know Hiroshima and Nagasaki as being the two sites of the the only two atomic bombs ever used in warfare. And when I was in Hiroshima, um, that's where the big International Peace Museum is. There's a different feel in the two cities about the reaction to it. Maybe not too outwardly, but at least how they talk to you and interact with you as an American or a Westerner, I guess. And part of the idea is... um, Nagasaki was one of the places in Japan which still allowed trade with uh, the Dutch during that period of isolation. And about 30 to 40% of Nagasaki was Catholic in World War II. And so when the second bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, it actually destroyed the largest Catholic cathedral at that time in Asia. Wow. Um, But when you look at the makeup of the faith in these two towns the people in Nagasaki almost sort of consider themselves as being sort of the sacrificial lambs to end this horrific period of time. Whereas in Hiroshima, it's a little more towards, you know, we need to end all nuclear weapons. This was a horrible thing. But anyway, in hindsight, a fascinating sort of 
differing of opinions, I think, because of that makeup. But well, and anyway, I mean, so. it's very, it's very. Oh, I don't know how how similar, but at least in in my brain, uh, it could be pretty similar as seeing someone at the 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 site of the twin towers that's from a Middle Eastern country, right? Mm. As as they're coming over, because that's who we blame for the towers falling down. Yeah. And and so you see a Westerner, you know, where these. That, well, that's who destroyed these cities, right? right. With these massive uh, little boy, <laughs> fat man, know, and little boy bombs, fat, fat yeah. man and little boy atomic bombs. Um, it man, takes time to to shed a lot of that, you know. Yeah, I, I think I don't know. I shouldn't think too much, but um, of course, I also went to college at the University of Alakouane in Morocco in the summer of '98. It was an exchange program pre 9/11. You really couldn't find any classes on Arab history things like that in colleges here in Montana and wanting to be a history teacher. I had to take advantage of that. And it was a little surreal because when we were there in that college, um, he was, uh, God, if memory serves, he was, I can't remember if he was an English professor. They actually wouldn't allow him in Algeria because he, he focused a lot on a lot of this fundamentalist movements that were growing, right? And this was the summer that two embassies of ours were bombed in Africa. Um, but anyway, so I actually heard a lot of these names like Zawahiri and Bin Laden and stuff like that back in 98. So then when 9-11 happened, I kind of felt like there were a lot of pieces that I understood. And in my meager existence, tried to kind of correct things Yeah. as I heard them come up. You know, Well, for example, we were always sort of taught the, I can't say always when we were there, uh, Zawahiri was the, oh gosh, when we invaded Iraq, what did we call him, like the, the something of spades or something. I believe he had a card. Yeah, yeah, there him. was a deck of cards, yeah. Yeah, but he was, um, we were led to believe that he was the inspiration. I mean, he was the head of the organization, which was starting to be called Al-Qaeda. Um, Bin Laden, he was money bags. Like, he was the 16th son of a Saudi prince, you know, that mm-hmm. had, he was money, he was the fundraiser, the guy that every organization needs. And it was interesting how when 9-11 happened and how bin Laden was now the head of this organization, Zawahiri was just kind of a so-and-so. Because we know you cut off the head of the money, the organization's going to collapse. Yeah. So I just kind of remember thinking, was that done intentionally? Did I not learn it correctly? Did things shift in three years? But I don't know. I don't know. Just those little awesome experiences you have, which culminate to just a smidge more understanding when a big event occurs, you know. Mm you got to be thankful for, I mm-hmm. think. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and I think now, by the by, everything that we've talked about on this podcast, uh, we're all going to be flagged by the FBI and CIA. As, <laughs> I mean, all we need to talk about now is pressure cookers. So, Oh, uh, yeah. We talk about those. and mm-hmm. we're, we're Pressure cookers and uh, fertilizer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gee whiz. Because yeah. we've – North Korea, gun rights. Like, we, uh, we've, we've got the gamut. 9-11. Yeah. yeah. Middle East. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're, we're asking for it. Yeah, we are definitely yeah. asking for it. Well, that's what happens yeah. when you talk, man. There's conversations <laughs> come up. Right. We talk about the things as they come up. You know, sometimes you mistake Martin Luther King for Malcolm X, you know. That, right after you burn your mouth. Right yeah. after you burn your mouth. So yeah. sometimes then you, you get put off. your foot in it. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> I put I put my dirty foot in a burned mouth <laughs> this this day. Okay. But, but we're still talking. And well and what I see in front of us is is like we, we talk about a candidate running for House District twenty two. You got it in the right order that time? You did. Yeah. Thank you. House District twenty two. 
probably under the impression that we're going to talk about politics and and what are you fighting for and right. we did that a little bit but honestly like uh, I, I as as a as joe called me out on as a non-voter like yeah we could talk about all the issues and different things but honestly like i just kind of want to know who i'm voting for and what kind of person they are right and so what we're looking at is somebody that's actually a very right here in great falls we have someone that has like seen the world right sure and then also somebody that's that's uh democratic but a hunter and yeah. so I kind of wanted to end, especially with this this kick that Joe's been on of, mm-hmm. of getting into hunting, and, mm-hmm. and well, we've been on. I'm not just going to call you out on. It. We've okay. been on. Okay. Um, you you had mentioned your profile picture is a selfie of of hunting elk. Yeah, yeah. We got to hear like a good elk story. Like, oh, like good let, one. Let's let's hear it. Um, gosh, well, I would say my my best story together is the first deer I got when I was 15 that ended up literally going into the Boone and Crockett record book. Okay. Which, Let's hear it. Let's okay. hear it. Um, so, um, this is in western Washington, okay. and my father and I went out onto the Olympic Peninsula near the town of Squim, which is where they film the Twilight movies. Oh, so, okay. so, I have no desire to actually see those. The only reason I'd like to is because, hey, that's where I got this deer. They're terrible. Um, <laughs> that's what I've heard. Um, but anyhow, so, uh, oh, my father, he went to uh, relieve himself in the trees behind me. I was about 100 yards down from him on a hill, and and I glanced down, saw a couple of does working up, and then I saw this buck. Well, it was a Columbia black-tailed deer, and I hadn't even learned about them because, you know, my father coming from Montana, uh, me being born in Montana and then going out to western Washington, there were two deer. There were muleys and whitetail I was at. That's it? Mm-hmm. So I didn't think that I had gotten a big deer. And we brought it down to a local cafe. It was sitting in the back. I got to call my mom on an old-fashioned payphone, excited. I got my first deer, Mom, you know. Um, and meanwhile, the hunters are staring at it like it's just amazing, and I'm not getting as a kid what it is. Well, we end up getting keeping the cape, and I kept the tail because it's a little different, and uh, moved to Montana two years later. And a year or two after that, a friend of mine, saw the horns and he brought over a hunting magazine that had a guy with a an even smaller rack and said it got in the Boone and Crockett record book and he goes you can see yours is bigger than that one so um we brought it over to the uh, game warden in Bozeman I think his name was Fred King and he scored it as the 111th biggest blacktail ever shot so that was my first deer <laughs> now I think what happened is the hunting gods must have looked they must have frowned upon me because I, I hunted elk for 23 years before I ever actually got one. Whoa. And it happened to be the year I married my wife uh, six years ago. And I'm pretty steadily almost every year fill my tag now. Um, but um, well, last year, for example, I brought my friend out. He grew up with him out in western Washington. He wanted to come out and, and hunt. He had a white-tailed doe tag. Uh, so he was along with me. And we were walking up a fence line, and we spooked up a nice big bull that was about 15 yards from us. We woke him up in the morning, and he was on the other side of the fence, which I knew as being a private fence. My friend, not hunting elk, wasn't going to shoot at it, but you could just see in his eyes and hear in his voice, take it, take it. And obviously, I'm not a bow hunter, but the one thing that bow hunters tend to tell me, you have this connection with the animal because you're so close to it. Mm -hmm. You're not shooting it from 100 yards away. You're 10 feet away from it sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but got our hearts racing and it took off the wrong direction. And it was one of those occurrences where, uh, also being a hunter's ed instructor, you know, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to do the wrong thing even though no one's watching. Yep. Right? I mean, that's kind of how I sleep at night. Yep. And uh, he asked me why I didn't do it. I said, well, it's private. And he says, well, we could have drug it over. He didn't actually say this, but it was one right. of those things where he talked about it later. Like, boy, a person could just drag that over the fence. I was like, yes, but they don't always drop where you shoot them. He went straight down onto private land. All of these what ifs. So that's why you just don't do it. You know? Well, and, and with an elk, um, an elk is not just drag. Right? Oh, right. Like, you're not just going to drag it. Right. Like. And there's going to be, if you can somehow, with two of you, drag an elk to the other side of a fence, it's not going to, like, you're going to have to, like, cut the fence or something. Right. Like, there, there's going to be so much proof of, of what you did. Right. Exactly. Um, blood exactly. spatters and stuff like that. And, and when there was when there's an accusation, like, our fish, wildlife, and parks, like, they do a pretty good job of investigating. Oh, yeah. And, They're good um, guys. With all of that, like, it's just being also just, like, stand up for what you believe in and if you're teaching kids not to do it then you should right. probably not do it too and then we we swing back around to what we talked about later taking that extra step to put a tarp over an animal in the back of your truck mm-hmm. i mean i want hunting to be around for a long time and i'm not i'm not going to take the shortcut because it benefits me at this point in time mm-hmm. you know if i'm if i meant to get an elk i would have got one 30 minutes after that after right. i let that one go yeah. you know um but i mean every every elk has a story this one was my first one um, I probably shot him a couple more times than I should have, uh, but it kind of uh, it taught me maybe I should start getting a heavier bullet. And I do all my own reloading too. So, well, and um, just just to put our listeners there, you were showing us a necklace, and I'm assuming it's uh, oh, elk ivory. Elk ivory. Yeah. Elk ivory. Yeah. And so, Joe, elk. Um, I don't know what the tooth is actually called, but it's like uh, I think it's the canine. Yeah, it's like like has. almost like they're canines. They're they're ivory, like. Uh, elephant tusk or anything else and so elk hunters remove the ivories and typically yeah we'll make a necklace we'll i I actually just saw remember cal ryan callahan who shared um he was at the vha he just shared a picture a guy had four you know the the western like replacement for a tie it's not a bolo tie yeah the bolo yeah yeah, 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 yeah. he had um a, a bullet which I could tell had been found in like a carcass, right? Like after you shoot it, sometimes the bullet doesn't go all the way through. And you, so you find this mushroomed bullet. Mm-hmm. And so he had that. And then around it was the four ivories from the elk. It was a really cool yeah. tie. Um, and so, okay, so you're, yeah. you're showing us the ivory. It actually looks like a pretty big ivory. Um, well, he was a small bull. Um, but, you know, when they get too old, they can get hollow when the teeth get old. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's just, it's a good quality one. I think it was just a, it was a young enough bull. But... Again, you know, I hadn't gotten an elk for 24 years before that because I think I jinxed myself with my deer. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I had to shoot it a number of times, and every shot, when we finally got to it and dressed it out, every shot should have probably dropped it, but it just didn't. That's why I made the decision personally to go to a heavier bullet, which the following year dropped my elk in the spot I mm-hmm. got it at. But, but what were you using? Uh, it's a 3378 Weatherby. We could we could get into a conversation. Basically, it's um, it's a large shell that Weatherby had their three seventy eight in, but they nicked it down for a thirty caliber. So the same bullet you would shoot in a thirty out six or any other thirty caliber, it's just got a bunch of powder behind it. And that's the one you went to, or that's the one you that did, you weren't having. That's success with? that's the one I had. Okay. But what I did is I went to a heavier thirty caliber bullet. Okay. So the ballistics weren't as great, but the the stopping power the following year. That being said. Um, I keep it sort of a reminder of resilience mm. that you can you can really have the whole world thrown at you, and if you keep choosing to go, you can go. So that was the lesson I took from that bull. Um, 
just never to give up, I guess. And right. uh, my own personal belief, I, I go to sweat lodges. I try to walk what they call the red road. Um, Expl- I, explain the red road. Uh, if you could. Oh boy, how to do that in 30 seconds or less, you know. Uh, started when I was at CPS. A good friend of mine um, who is full-blooded Pecani Blackfeet invited me to a sweat lodge, and I've been doing that essentially every couple of weeks uh, with the exception of breaks. We're actually going to have one today at 11. Um, the idea of, God, how to describe it. Uh, a, uh, it's religious to a big degree. Um, definitely very spiritual. It's sort of like a, a native religious outlook on everything. Um, some people have referred to it as well-briety, a well-being and sobriety um, is an aspect of it. It's hard to describe because there is no dogmatic rule you know, that everyone, like in certain religions, have where you have to follow this particular set of things to but that being said, I, I carry sweetgrass with me. I try to smudge with sweetgrass as much as I can. Day where I start smudging with sweetgrass is always better than day that I don't. I seem to lose my temper more when I don't, you know. But I always have that layer of respect with animals when I take them down, especially this first bull, you know. Uh, smudge them, pray with them for a short period of time. Um, taking a life, even though it's an, just an animal, but I also believe we are just animals. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing, mm-hmm. and I certainly am not going to let any edible part of that animal go to waste. Um, not that I, I mean, typically I will take an elk in the heart, so that's pretty much useless. Um, but I'm trying to learn ways of saving as much as possible. One, so you're talking coal fat, liver, things like that? Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. Um, and actually, I know the kidneys are even something that a lot of... Uh, Native communities will eat, but I wouldn't even know how to hold on to those and keep them well. For well, someone, yeah, that's, you know. that's a problem for many hunters is like we know how to cook like the meat meat, but right. organs. And that's one reason I really like meat eaters. They they, yeah. they do a lot of good videos on how to use like, and I mentioned coal fat, but that's like yeah. this weird fat net that kind of holds things together inside of it. And they use it to like pack sausage, yeah, you know, and things like that. And so they're trying to use more and more of the animal for that, yeah. that same And I think, it's, I think it's really neat that a lot more hunters are getting to that level of utilization because, again, it's, I think we're getting back to that, that core reason for why people even hunted now is just to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And if you got to take a life to save a life, you should respect that life as much Absolutely. as possible. Yeah. Um, but, again, you know... Um, I wouldn't tell another person what's right or wrong when they hunt. That's just how I choose to do it. You know? Well, so. and, and ultimately how I used to validate this when I was a younger hunter and I didn't really have any mentors or anything, you know, I would, I would remove the guts from the animal. All, all of it would, yeah. would stay out in the field and, and you validate it because like it's feeding other things, you know, there's ravens, there's coyotes, there's sure. all sorts of things that are going to come by and they're totally going to get full use out of that. Right. Um, but there's, there's a, there's a, element to it now where I, I just believe like if if I'm going to take the time to to practice you know whether it's archery or or with a rifle I'm going to then invest the time to go out there and then I am the one that's actually taking the life that coyote isn't it's not going to ever take down <laughs> coyote's never going to take down an elk right you know so it is a little bit out of its element to then you know be eating that because it's going to be very rare that it gets to eat that and it's huh. you know and yeah. so I'm like man I want to use as much as possible 
as the one that that's taken it down. And so, yeah, it wasn't until Meat Eater, but it, you know, several years ago, I decided, well, I'm going to start taking whatever organs I can. Yeah. And heart has become one of my favorite favorite cuts out of the yeah. any, any of the animals. Well, I should I'm, pick your brain down the road how you prepare it because oh. I know I ate my first heart here for my last elk not too long ago. Not my last elk. I'm sorry. It was actually someone had given it to me because mm-hmm. they weren't going to eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't prepare it right, and ended up being just like and eating it, gristle. Yep, yep, oh. yeah. Well, we'll, we'll uh, we can talk. We're not going to get into it now because we yeah. do have a hard stop so that you can you oh. can go to your your sweat lodge, right? Okay. Yeah. Yep. yep. And so we want to make sure that we get we get that done. But yeah, I can totally talk to you about that. I think uh, there's a couple of good recipes, but uh, uh, heart. Oh, I, I never know how to say it. Bulgogi. Okay. Like beef bulgogi. Bulgogi. With, you know, Korean. Bulgogi. There yeah. you go. Okay. Bulgogi. Yeah. That's the best I've found, and I've really? got a really good recipe for it too. And okay. um, it talks about you know how the the biggest thing is there's there's one video I've found I'll have to find it again that shows you how to break it down to really get like the most use out of it. And yep. there's like some little connective tissues and stuff inside the chambers of the heart mm-hmm. that don't taste very good. So you you know you get some of that stuff out and oh, how okay. you clean it and prepare it, Interesting. And marinate it and all of that. But it's right. it's one of my favorite things now. And actually, I did uh, I started saving heart out of uh, uh, birds as well. So when I get a oh. duck or pheasant or grouse, yeah. I I put them into okay. So you take a big water bottle, you cut off the the top of it. So right. then it just ends up being this container. Right. And so throughout the season, you know, so it'll start with like upland and then it'll go, I just keep filling it. It's in my freezer. Okay. And so you don't put the hearts in there and you fill it up with a little bit more water, a little bit more water. And so the, the water's keeping like those lower hearts fresh, frozen and okay. fresh. And mm-hmm. then by the end of the season, you have, I don't know, you know, 10 to 20 hearts in there. Sure. All different, types of birds and you've cleaned them of course it's not just like cutting it out and throwing it right in there you know you clean them and whatever and then you do these uh i found a recipe for skewers and um out of all the game i have cooked and i i've had several foster children through my home that'll that'll try you know steak or deer burger or something like that the bird hearts was everyone's favorite Oh, and just the way we cooked it, there was like a heart, then a grape, then a heart, then a grape, then you put it on the grill, and there was like this whole marinade and everything with it. Oh, that huh. ended up being like everybody's favorite. They're like, hey, when are we going to do that again? I'm like, well, it's like a once a year thing. Yeah, you, you got to save up those kinds of things. It, yeah. They're so small, like you, you just got to save them up for a while. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we can go down that whole that whole bunny trail. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah is there any, so where, where can people find you? Uh, where, oh. do you want to, where do you want us to send people? What links do you want us to put down well, below? Well, I do have a Facebook page. Um, it's I believe it's Nick Henry for House District 22. Um, it'd be hard to do a, tell you exactly what it is. I know that, you know, obviously if you were to cut and paste the that. I do have a website which is in the verge of being uh, finalized, um, and it'll be live here before too long, and I believe that will be dot nick henry for mthd22 at dot com um the number four or did i say four nick henry four oh f-o-r sorry thank you four so keep going again nick henry for mthd22 dot com okay and that's not live right now but it's but i I will put that link down below so people can find it okay. in, the, in the show notes and i'll put the nick henry so what it is on uh facebook is nick henry f- four and the four spelled out f-o-r uh hd 22 yeah and so you can that that link will be down there as well 
your personal Facebook. I'll put that. I'll throw that down there too, so people can find sure, that and sure. see the picture that we talked about. <laughs> okay, <laughs> everybody want to see um, that. But if I could just make one brief thing, really quick, yep. leave with something. Yep. Um, especially when it comes to local politics, it's you know it's supposed to be so unlike. Um, I mean, no one in this room, as far as I know, has net, met Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell or any of these names that we hear about on the news and. Local politics is supposed to be about getting to know your neighbors and representing each other. So if I could just ask for anything at this point, you know, if anyone comes to your door, I don't care if they are a Republican, I don't care if they're a Democrat, and they want to have a conversation with you, just have that meaningful conversation. Because if we don't have those conversations, I think that's where things just start shifting. And I say the logo of my campaign is have a conversation about values before we talk about politics. Mm. And more often than not, you're going to realize the things that matter to us as Montanans here in Great Falls are probably not going to be too different from each other. So when we start digging into those and the politics without talking about what we each value, I think that's where the danger lies. So. And so, so you're out there knocking on doors in your, your district. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just getting started. Absolutely. Obviously I didn't have anyone running against me in the primary. Um, and you know, I walk 10 miles a day at work. So by the time I get home, I really I start <laughs> dragging, dragging behind even worse. So, yeah. um, but yeah, you'll, you'll be seeing me. So excellent. Sweet. Fair enough. Fair enough. Joe, you got anything else to add? Nope, that does it for me. Thanks for coming in. This was Thank really you. fun getting to know you. I hope um, our listeners have a little bit to you know listen through, and if they have any questions for you, hopefully they reach out. Maybe they heard I something so. here and they want to know more about uh, Korean-made bulgogi with uh, <laughs> with hearts, and they'll know that you and Brian have probably gotten together <laughs> and listening to this, and they're going to have sure. this whole backstory on you. So there you go. Yeah, there man. So I thought this was pretty fun. You're welcome back anytime. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, just just let me know. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm endowed with the gift of gab. All right, and uh, if we can, once uh, you know, as the things kind of go down the road, maybe we'll try to reach out to Lola. I've never never met or seen her, but she's the incumbent, so sure, maybe we should get to know that neighbor. Sure, yeah, right. yeah, absolutely, cool. yeah, excellent. Um, well, we appreciate all of you. What we normally do on our sign off is I'll say I've been Brian, and you're gonna say, okay, I've been Nick. I've been Nick. I've been Joe, and then together we're all going to say, we'll see you next show. Okay. You got it? You bet. Okay. All right, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for for listening. Hope that you had a wonderful drive, if that's what you're doing, or maybe you're cooking dinner for your family, Mm. but uh, I'm glad that we could be there with you. If you think somebody, one of your friends will like hearing this, do us a favor. Send it to them. Yeah. Send it right over. Send it in a text. Be like Josh Mills. All right. Send he, it to he, everyone you yeah, know. Yeah, he personally <laughs> texted a bunch of people. So so be like, live, live up to Josh Mills' standards yep. and, and send them out to all your friends. I do have to do one shout out to Rick, uh, one, of our, one of our dedicated listeners. Every time he sees us at Roadhouse, he, um, Roadhouse Diner, the burger joint, mm-hmm. he sends me your shirt. <laughs> Really? That has, oh, that has oh. Peter Griffin on it with Roadhouse. Nice. And he sends me some kind of gift that's Roadhouse. Oh, yeah. That's Peter, funny. Peter Griffin did that whole... I mean, you're very aware if you're wearing the shirt. Oh, yeah. But that oh, whole yeah. episode where he's roundhouse kicking everything, <laughs> Roadhouse. And he says it the whole episode. So he sends me a gift every time we're at the diner. He's like, I can't. I can't. So shout out. Rick, this was, this was for you somehow. All right, buddy? Yep, uh, thanks yep. for being a listener. We appreciate it. Sharing is caring. I've been Brian. I've been Nick. I've been Joe. We'll see See you next show. show.